Hey listeners, it's Brian. Before the show starts, I just wanted to let you know that you can now chat with us, other horror fans, and fans of the show on our Discord server. I had no idea what Discord was until our awesome listener Blake helped us start a Discord server, and it's kind of like a chat room website or app. That's kind of underselling it, but it's a really easy way to chat with people. We've got a nice little group of people going, and we're just chatting about horror movies, movies in general, etc. It's actually a lot of fun, and the Discord app is really slick. It's a lot more conversational than Facebook or Twitter, and it's easier to use, too. So if you want to join, I've got the link posted on our Facebook and Twitter pages, and I'll try to get it up on our website, too. I'm also going to read it out loud right now like a 70-year-old would do. It's https colon forward slash forward slash discord dot gg forward slash h capital F k capital U capital J 8. So you can just type that into your browser or just find the link on our social media pages and you'll join our little group. So if you really need to talk to somebody about how we felt about today's movie, come on over and join us on Discord. And thanks again to Blake for helping us out. Talk to you later, guys. Listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we're talking about Poltergeist from 1982. Directed by Toby Hooper, written by Steven Spielberg, Michael Grace, and Mark Victor, starring Joe Beth Williams, Craig T. Nelson, and Heather O'Rourke. This is a movie about a suburban family who fights against a malevolent supernatural force in their home. And we chose this largely due to all the mentions that it received on our listener appreciation episode. A lot of you either said this was the first horror movie you ever saw, or that you had an emotional connection to it in some way, shape, or form, or that it terrified you even as an adult. And Ashwin, I already forget, Did you had you seen this before? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I had seen it. Okay. 80% sure. Yeah, this is one of those that you kind of probably saw as a kid and you don't quite remember. Yeah, except like a lot of our listeners, I guess, uh, this one stuck with them. Yeah. Uh, had you seen it before? Yeah. I had seen this before, but I don't think I saw it until I was an adult, maybe mm. my early 20s. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah. it's, it's It was really interesting because in that survey, um, and this movie came out like 1982, it's just interesting because I, I think it's like a generational thing that maybe like a lot of people in our age group when they were young, like this was the... Maybe like one of the scarier movies out there that uh, stuck with people. Yeah. Um, so, Ghost Story, Haunted House movie. I was just listening to, a, and I wish I could have retained more of the information, but a um, podcast called Nightmare University from Fangoria where they talk about this period in the 80s that just had a whole bunch of haunted house movies. I think like The Shining, The Changeling, Poltergeist, Amityville Horror. And I think one of the things they mentioned that was unique about this period of movies was that it took the haunted house from like the gothic castle type thing and into suburban homes, which is basically Mm -hmm. like what all haunted house movies now are. I feel like they kind of laid the foundation for the conjuring type, even a paranormal activity type movie. Yeah, definitely watching this, I I felt like a lot of similarities to those movies. 
Um, yeah. That's what I'm saying. So before this, most haunted houses were like House on Haunted Hill or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Or the haunting. Um, I think that was kind of in like an old mansion. Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, the middle suburbia was uh, safe until the early 80s. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a lot of what the slasher did too. Yeah. True. Brought the horror to the suburbs. Hmm. Yeah. If we were smarter, we'd have smarter things to say about the correlation there, but I'll just let it lie. <laughs> Cold War? You want to talk about the Cold War? <laughs> I, yeah, that, that, that's really cool. Because I, I think even today, some of like the more uh, or the better or more interesting horror films, like you think of like Stranger Things or even like the latest It's, which I guess that was a remake too, and Stranger Things plays on stuff. But um, a lot of times like that suburb setting is like pretty scary because it's so close to home, I guess, and relatable. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and what better way to make a haunted house movie than close to home? I think it's it's scarier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, this is a movie. This is a huge movie. It had a $10.7 million budget. It took in a box office of $121.7 million, And it was the eighth highest grossing film of 1982. Number one highest grossing horror movie of 1982. Yeah. Um, and did you read about the controversy between whether or not Toby Hooper was the true director of this movie. Yeah, I can't believe how long that went on for. Like, it sounds like even to, like, a few years ago, people are still discussing if it was actually him versus, like, Spielberg. Yeah, I think it's open for debate. So Steven Spielberg, he wrote this, he produced it, but he was directing E.T. at the same time that this movie was filming, and he had a clause in his contract that he couldn't be directing any other movies. So he hired Toby Hooper to do it based on the fact that he liked Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I think another movie Toby did called The Fun House, Tobes. Um, but a lot of people who were involved in the movie said, like, oh, it was really Spielberg. Like, he was there every day and he was calling the shots. Mm-hmm. And other people like, no, like, I saw Toby Hooper as my boss and as my director. Like, he was the one doing the work. Um I don't know. I feel like from what I read, the conclusion I came from, took out of it was this was the first major studio production that Toby Hooper was involved in and Steven Spielberg's this huge name. Yeah. And he's kind of going to get his way or, I don't know, even if you're Toby Hooper, you would probably just kind of yield. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, to like a guy like Spielberg, like who's going to... I, I feel like it was just like a power uh, play at the end of the day of, uh, so like yeah, who's gonna step up to Spielberg and be like, now you, you back off on it. this is I'm the director on this, right, right. Like, what are you really gonna do? And I I think we talked about this and and I have no idea. We don't we don't know the inside story of this, so I don't mean to be telling tales out of school, but a little bit in the uh, uh, the Curse of La Llorona episode, we talked about how we felt about Michael Chavez as a director, and we thought like you know maybe. Maybe James Wan really, if you're a new director and you're doing a James Wan produced movie, how much is James Wan really telling you the way it's going to be? Yeah. <laughs> it kind of brings into that, that whole title of like the producer, like uh, if something's produced by someone, like how involved are they? And right. I think even just watching this one and like a lot of the scenes you see, they're so similar to like other Spielberg scenes that you can tell he was like pretty close, um, if not like the director on this one. Yeah. I mean, it really does feel like a Spielberg movie. That's hard to deny. Yeah, yeah, and it could you could say yeah, well, because he wrote the script script and he produced <laughs> it, but yeah, I mean it's got Spielberg all over it. 
Yeah, like yeah, everything from like lighting the si- the types of shots that were made. I mean, there's one thing you write it and like uh, you know that that's fine, but like still like lighting, acting, um, you know, yeah, points of focus. I, I feel like it had Spielberg's touch for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this movie had was nominated for a few Academy Awards. Um, it was nominated for Best Visual Effects, but lost to E.T. And it was nominated for Best Original Score. The score was done by Jerry Goldsmith, but that also, but it also lost that field to E.T. Which is hilarious, right? That like Spielberg, like he couldn't like have his name on this one because or direct this one because he was working on E.T. And then this movie like loses all its awards to E.T. <laughs> Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of funny. Yeah, pretty nuts. Um, yeah. The guys who did both of those movies for score did some incredible stuff. Like Jerry Goldsmith, who did Poltergeist, did Planet of the Apes, Chinatown, The Omen, Alien, Gremlins. Wow. Gremlins seems to be, I'm sure there are plenty of people who give it its due respect, but that's a score that doesn't get talked about enough. It's one of the most memorable scores. I mean, it was a huge part of my childhood, but... Mm-hmm. Like the tune that Gizmo whistles and stuff, like it's hard oh, to forget. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, no, good point. Um, but then point. it lost to E.T. John Williams, who did Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Jaws. Like he's all over stuff. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's quite a resume. So, yeah, two big names. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I think we need to talk about the curse, which we talked about just a little bit in our listener appreciation episode. Yeah, I'm excited to hear more about this curse. So, here's what is all... Basically, the cause of the curse is perceived to be the fact that real skeletons were used instead of prop skeletons. And at the time of filming, supposedly, the skeletons were either not really in existence, prop skeletons, or were hard to come by. Like, nowadays, you can get them for cheap. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't like that in 1982, apparently. It was cheaper just to get a real skeleton? Yeah, or maybe even not even possible to get the fake ones. Wow. So, some things, the bad things that happened that made people wonder if there was a curse. Heather O'Rourke, who was five during filming, died seven years later at age 12, like very suddenly. Mm-hmm. Some Somewhere I heard it was a bowel obstruction, but other I read somewhere else that she was undergoing surgery for the bowel obstruction and became septic during surgery and died from surgery Hmm. either way super young death very sudden yeah uh dominique dunn who plays the oldest sister was murdered by her boyfriend who i think she was murdered by him like when the movie the year the movie was released wow oh my god that sucks yeah and that dude only served four years in prison which is nuts wow and she was also like pretty Uh, young right yeah, yeah, she was. I can't remember exactly how old she was. I think she was 22. 22? So. Okay, that's what I thought, too. Um, And then some other just weird things happened, like the robot clown in the movie supposedly really did malfunction and was actually strangling the little boy in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Beth Williams, who plays the mom, said she'd come home from shooting every day to have all the pictures on her wall tilted. The guy who wrote the novelization of the movie said that the building he was writing it in got struck by lightning. Two actors involved in the sequels died shortly after the movies, but they were older and had pre-existing conditions. And then one of the construction workers in this movie, you know, the like little bit parts of the construction uh, workers yeah. who cat called the daughter. Yeah. He was murdered with an ax in 2009. 
Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. That's crazy. All for one movie, huh? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't believe in these type of things, but it is a lot yeah. that happened all for this one franchise. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah, this is definitely something there, man. That's kind of hard to deny. That's a lot, yeah. of, a lot of connections. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of creepy stuff adding up. Yeah. And yeah, uh, he, he did a true Hollywood story episode on it. So then it, it became part of the common lexicon. And then uh, the the remake was that impacted at all by the the, the curse of the original. I'm glad you asked, Ashwin. Apparently, the director of the remake said that the house he rented while filming was haunted. <laughs> oh man, that strikes me as something that might just be said as a publicity stunt. Yeah, at that point, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, wow, I, I mean, I believe it. That makes sense. Yeah. Do you think this? Do you believe in curses? Uh, I do now, man. After this story, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't don't go near any skeletons. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I, didn't, I didn't realize all the skeletons in the movie are real skeletons. That's that's messed up. Changed my evening plans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Shit. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, and I wonder what I wonder what they they go through. I'm sure they're like dipped in formaldehyde or some sort of like caustic solutions to make sure every last bit of flesh is off of them. Right. I would hope so. Yikes. Yeah, crawling with bacteria or something. Um, yeah. Do you know if uh, that steak they use was that a real steak? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just, the maggots coming out. Yeah. Of the, apparently, people have been seeing a lot of cow ghosts on the set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was also part of the the curse. <laughs> uh, Things are moving by themselves. <laughs> <I'm sorry>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I guess outside of the curse, this movie I feel like just has a huge legacy and in, in its footprint on on Hollywood and and all the films that come after. I mean, I can't name a uh, one like superstitious movie or or like supernatural movie. I guess that um, doesn't like kind of tie back to this one. Yeah, you can really see its influence, especially in, like in the past ten years or so. All the supernatural movies that have been in theaters and doing big mm-hmm. that are almost—I mean—they're a little bit Spielbergian, like. Yeah. Um, like the Conjuring movies. The Conjuring. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like La Llorona, uh, Paranormal Activity, all, all those like, uh, the, yeah, it's like we have a family basically being haunted by some kind of demon. Right. And they're not super violent. Like this movie's not that violent or gory. It's just. Right. Yeah. That was, that was the yeah, surprising You thing. can definitely see its impact. Yeah. And this movie, it came out as like a PG movie, right? Yeah, the PG-13 didn't happen until 1984, and I've seen different lists of movies that kind of um, were a little bit of the support of why the PG-13 happened, and I think I have seen this movie named like this and Gremlins in um, one of the Indiana Jones movies that has the like heart-ripping-out scene. Oh, yeah, Temple of the Doom or something. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's a pretty intense movie to be rated PG, but mm-hmm. there isn't much violence except for one um, out of the ordinary scene that we'll talk about. Yeah. No, you're right. Not, not a lot of violence or gore, but it is it is pretty scary though. Like I don't, I don't think you'll see any other PG movie today that's this scary. Yeah. I mean, there is there are movies as we talked about with Sinister that just get a PG-13 or an R based simply on the content and the scare factor, even if they don't have the yeah hit the graphic violence or nudity right. buttons. Yeah, right, right. 
Um, did you know that Steven Spielberg was born in Cincinnati? No way. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. I'm surprised uh, that's not talked about more. Yeah, unless our uh, whoever's all over the internet making fake facts about Cincinnati <laughs> put that there, but uh, that that one seems to check out. Yeah, that's awesome. Damn. Yeah. That makes sense. So pretty good. Cool man. This, well, oh, is this uh this how many horror movies has Spielberg done? I feel like this is like one of the few, right? Uh, Jaws, Jurassic Park. Mm. Um, I think he's got a couple more. Okay. But I can't think of any other ones. And yeah, some you could debate whether Jurassic Park is a horror movie, but I think it counts. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Right. That makes sense. And I, I saw somewhere that like at some point he was considering having this be like a sequel for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, which would have been kind of cool. I think that like, was the... Mm-hmm. That was maybe a little bit where the original script's ideas were, and I think Toby Hooper argued for more of a supernatural theme. Yeah, so it was going to be more like sci-fi before. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. You got anything else on this before we move into the plot? Uh, no, let's let's get to it. Cool. And I don't think we've mentioned it, but it may already be too late, but we do spoil everything in this podcast if you're new. So with that in mind, we're going to move forward. But buddy, I didn't get a chance to eat dinner. Do you mind if we take a quick break and I'll call you back? I'm going to eat something real quick. Oh, sure. Yeah. Take your time. All right. All right. I'll be right back. All right. Or I'll call you right back. Okay. Okay, man, I'm back. Hey, how was dinner? Uh, it was okay. I, I tried to eat his steak, but while I was cooking it, my face just completely fell apart. So <laughs> eating it was a bit challenging. Oh, man. Was it was it not like organic yeah. or something? I don't know. I don't know what the deal was, but my face was falling off and just, blood was everywhere. Just melting into the thing. <laughs> Some, yeah. Sometimes if, it's not, if it doesn't have the USDA sticker on it, uh, that can happen. It could have been what it was. Yeah. I mean, I like my steaks a bit bloody, but this wasn't exactly what I had in mind, you know? <laughs> the steak was so sweet, bloody, not your face. <laughs> Shit. Hacha, yeah. Cha-cha. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, the plot. Um, we start off with kind of the hook that introduces us to the situation in the family. We start with a TV that's playing the national anthem and then goes to the fuzz, which is how TV worked back in the day it just the signal cut out there was no more programming and it went to a fuzzy screen i, I like that throwback a lot because i think a lot of people probably don't know that that that's how TVs, yeah yeah i didn't know that either and i don't think i remember ever remember that as a kid i just remember my mom telling me that yeah i feel like i, I heard about it i don't remember ever seeing that but yeah the, like the, at the end of every night like the they would just play the national anthem and that'd be the end yeah and like sign off yeah um, so it's kind of cool this hook, the way the dog introduces every member of the family. Everyone's asleep, like the dad has passed out in front of the TV, and the dog just goes to every member of the family sleeping, like the dad in the living room, the mom in bed, two kids sharing the same bedroom, and then the older daughter, and he's like sniffing around for food scraps that they were eating in bed or whatever. Yeah, I like that intro. Yeah. And then the daughter wakes up and walks over to the smallest daughter, who's five, like five years old walks over to the fuzzy TV and just starts talking to it. 
And then she wakes up the rest of the family and they're all just kind of staring at her in wonder. Um, and I really liked that it, what she was saying wasn't overtly creepy. Like it would be in a supernatural movie. She's just mm-hmm. answering questions. She's just yeah. like, hi, I'm five. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Like they're just having a conversation and right. it was kind of cool. Yeah. It was almost like a normal uh, five-year-old just finding a conversation. Yeah. I liked the subtlety there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we move on. It's, we get a picture of this typical suburban family. Um, the two kids, the two youngest kids get along well for the most part. They share a room and then there's this oldest teenage daughter who's kind of not really present for most of the movie. Um, and the mom and dad who are kind of trying to figure out what to do about their kids sleepwalking. They're not really taking it seriously. Apparently the mom slept walk and maybe the grandma. So that's what they think this is. They're building a pool in their backyard. They smoke weed randomly. The parents. Yeah. They're kind of a funny couple. Like, uh, um, they, yeah, he's like jumping on the bed. Like, She's fucking weed. They're very quirky. The parents. Yeah. Yeah. They're fun. And, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, there's a stormy night and the kids end up coming to sleep in the same room with them. And while they're all asleep in the same bed, except for the oldest daughter, the TV comes on again and the snow comes on and the daughter again confronts the TV. And this time we see something, some sort of force burst out of the TV. And the daughter just looks back and at the camera essentially and says, they're here, which is kind of... (laughs) the iconic quote yeah. from this movie. Um, then the next day, the mom notices weird things are happening in the kitchen. Everything's moving around, and eventually she turns around and looks back, and all the chairs are stacked on the kitchen table. And this is a unique supernatural movie and that she's not afraid. She's just, like, toying with it and is kind of in awe. Mm-hmm. So by the time the dad comes home, she's done all these experiences, and she's showing him what's up, and she'll sit the little girl on the one end of the room and then the little girl just slides by herself to the other end of the room. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of fun. They just like experimenting with it or playing around with it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Which is kind of a unique, unique take on the, yeah. the supernatural element that people would be just kind of in awe. I, I think you don't see that today because people have seen this movie and now like they get freaked out. But back then because it, no one's seen this movie yet, uh, it was, it was just like this cool thing maybe. Yeah, and that seems very Spielbergian too, to be like in awe of this otherworldly thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like in E.T. or Close Encounters. Yeah, true. Or Jurassic Park. True, yeah. It's like more of a sense of wonder at first. Right, before the fear kicks in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, things progress, and on another stormy night, there's this tree outside of the children's bedroom that the little boy's a little bit creeped out by. And this tree basically comes to life, reaches into the house, shatters the window, and grabs the kid. And the whole family sees this. They run out of the house trying to free him from this tree, and they accidentally, in the scuttle of things, leave Carol Ann, the youngest daughter, in the bedroom. And the TV turns on and essentially sucks her in. Um, They don't really know where she is until I think eventually they just hear her voice coming from the TV. Mm-hmm. And they hire these, they call on the help of these parapsychologists. One woman who's kind of the main parapsychologist and her crew, that's these two dudes that run all the equipment and stuff. 
and they come in and they make contact with her. They don't really know what to do. And she's like, I, I think I need to consult another expert. And so this parapsychologist leaves and she's like, I'll, I'll bring back help. Meanwhile, somewhere in here, we see the dad talking with his boss. The dad is a real estate agent in this community that they live in called Cuesta Verde. And his boss is proposing to him that they build some new houses in this on this slope that's right near Cuesta Verde, but there's a cemetery there. And he's like, the boss is like, we'll just relocate the cemetery. It's not the first time we've done it. And he's like, go on. <laughs> and he essentially explains that down in Cuesta Verde, there was a cemetery and they moved it. And so the dad's like, well, I wonder if that has anything to do with what's going on. Mm-hmm. So back to the house, the second woman comes and she's more of like a medium than the parapsychologist, but she seems like the expert and they determine that the daughter is trapped in this place where it's kind of a purgatory ish place with all these spirits and some of the spirits are fine and they're comforted by the daughter's presence, but there's a malevolent, malevolent presence in there with her and she calls it the beast. Did you assume that was the devil? No, I didn't, I didn't go to the devil. Uh, I, I didn't know what to make of it. It just sounded like some kind of evil spirit running around. Did you think it was the devil? At first, that's what I thought. But then by the end of the movie, that's not. But I feel like when you say the beast, it means the devil. The devil, yeah. Like no, the mark of the beast. Or... True. I was I was associated with like some animal or something. Yeah, I mean, like if you're, if this was a 70s horror movie and they said the beast, I feel like that's that's code. For, for the devil. And you know what it means. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think some kind of demon or something, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or maybe just a really pissed off dead dude. Yeah. Yeah. That's what my name's um, going to be. The Beast? Yeah. I'm going for that beast. Beast status. <laughs> and they have to lie. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just what we'll put on your tombstone. <laughs> um, Okay, so then, essentially the medium tells them what they need to do. They figure out that there's a portal that transports things out of wherever the daughter is. And so the entry to the portal is upstairs in the closet and the exit is like on the ceiling of the living room. And they test this by sending a couple of tennis balls down that they've numbered. They throw them into the portal in the closet and then they drop down through the living room, but they're all covered with this pink goopy stuff. Um, so they rig up a rope and they tie it to the mom and they send her in to get the girl. And it works. Essentially, she goes in there. There's a little bit of drama. Um, not that much. And then she drops out with the girl in her arms. They seem unconscious and eventually they wake up. And it's kind of like, all right, that's the end. Things are happily ever after. And they cut to them packing up the house, getting things loaded in a moving truck. And the dad's got to go into work to finalize some stuff. And if he's not back early enough, just put the kids to bed and then they'll all get everybody in the car and head to a hotel room that night. So I couldn't help but notice there were 20 minutes still left in the movie. So Yeah, I know, me yeah. too. And, and so, yeah, you, you know something's coming. There. And I loved how like kind of slow and calm this like part was. Yeah, yep. Everything seemed hap- happily ever after. Yeah. The mom like tucks them in, I think, or... Um, just tells them she'll be in soon to tuck them in and takes a bath and blow dries her hair. Yeah. The pacing, and pacing's like really slow at this point. 
It is, yeah. And then shit goes crazy again. The closet starts sucking the kids in. There's some force that, like, is throwing the mom around her own bed and preventing her from going in to help the kids. Eventually, she goes into their room and, like, can't enter without being sucked into the closet, so she's holding on to something. She grabs the son's hand, tells him to grab the daughter's hand. And Brian, and eventually this, they all... Oh, oh go the, ahead. The, this was also, like, the famous clown scene, right, where he sees, like, Oh, I skipped the clown. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's one of the biggest scenes from this movie, right? I think that's how things get started, right? Yeah, yeah. That That's how you know something's still not right, is because the clown is positioned on this chair and... Just like in earlier in the movie, the son looks at him and is like, oh, that's creepy. I don't like it there. But then later he wakes up or is disturbed by a noise and he looks and sees that the cloud clown is gone, looks under the bed. There's some suspense. And then he like picks his head back up. And as the camera moves back up to the bed, the clown is right behind him and starts choking him and pulls him under the bed. That, that was a good jump scare. That was really good. It was a good jump scare. There were some good scares in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, for being PG, there's definitely some scary stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk some more about some of the scares and some of the scenes after I power through this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the mom frees them from the room and the dad's coming home and these caskets starts bursting forth from the ground and they're like skeletons in them. Skeletons are bursting forth from the ground in these caskets and they're essentially like dodging this these emerging caskets and these bodies that are being flung from them. And the dad's boss is there. I think maybe the dad's boss was driving him back to his house. And he like grabs him and shakes him. And he's like, you didn't relocate the cemetery. You only moved the headstones. <laughs> yeah. And you can like see the, the shame and shock on the boss's face. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty. Yeah. Um. So then essentially the whole neighborhood is out in the street wondering what's going on coffins are popping up throughout the entire neighborhood and the house gets sucked into a portal essentially luckily they've all escaped it they drive away like don't look back and it ends with them in a motel room and you see the last shot is the dad the hotel or it's a motel the motel room door opens and the dad shoves the tv (laughs) out of the room and shuts the door yeah um, yeah, man. What do you like? What do you not like? Uh, I, I loved, uh, a lot of it. I mean, it, it felt very, like, I guess we talked about kind of Spielberg-y, like throughout the movie, it had almost like a sense of like adventure with it. Uh, so I feel like the scary aspect was balanced out by like this family and their dynamics. And they're like, actually like some points of like humor, which were pretty good and ex- accentuated it, especially like that last scene where he like puts the TV out of the room. Uh, so I, yeah, I thought the characters were really well done and the story was told well at a good pace and the whole like build up, uh, cause at the end you think like they're in the clear, but there's like this like 10 minute, like really slow pace, like everyone just going about their own business that it suddenly like just like ramps up to like, you know, level 10 out of, out of nowhere, uh, was good. So I, I just felt like it was really well balanced and well told movie. What, what did you think? Yeah, I really liked the bits of comedy and I, I like the emotional aspect of like losing your daughter and the mom and dad trying to reconnect with her and hearing her voice, even though they couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think a lot of the scenes were legit scary. Um, but there, there were some that was a little silly too. Like they open the door of the room and the books are flying around and you hear this like cackling that's kind of like cartoonish. 
Oh, is this like uh, when he's like showing them around and like he opens the door to show them the room? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of the scares were a little silly to me, even though some of them were legit scary. Yeah. But even like that, um, was that supposed to be scary? Or was that just more like him like showing like, yeah, this is our normal now. Like uh, here's this crazy room where all this random stuff is going on. I did. I do think you're right on that, but it was just a little silly that like there's this cartoonish laughing and stuff like that. Ah, uh, sure, yeah, um, yeah, um, and then there's a scare that we alluded to where one of the uh, parapsychologists' crew like goes in to cook a steak, and the steak like starts moving and then blows up, and he goes into the bathroom and like looks in the mirror to splash water in his face, and then his face just starts like disintegrating, and it's a hallucination. Mm-hmm. Like melting off, right? Yeah, yep. That reminded me a lot of, um, I don't know, like I think that Indiana Jones movie or, so, or one of those. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the same effects crew even because I think the same effects crew was doing E.T. at the same time. Oh, yeah, then possibly. Um, or maybe that was just like the visual effects, like the animation and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, I lost my train of thought. I don't know. I feel like I'm going to do a little bit of picking apart of this movie. I know a lot of people love it. Mm -hmm. That scare seemed so inconsistent with the rest of the scares. Like, nobody else hallucinated or saw anything that wasn't there the whole time. Uh, Sure, yeah. I mean, storyline-wise and, like, the haunting-wise, I I don't feel like it made... Like, I'm not sure I can explain, like, why it was happening, what was happening, or, like what like was evil versus what was like good or just like the ghost playing around with them like there wasn't much logic there was there no and there's a very confusing bit where like there's a white light wherever um the little girl is and she can see it but they like tell her not to go to it because that's the portal to like the Mm -hmm. afterlife but then they tell her to go to it at one point and then back again and that got a little confusing to me like the parents were confused by what the medium was telling them and i was too yeah yeah, I I didn't understand like when the parents would like have an opinion on it. Like the medium would tell them like tell them uh, like tell her to go to the light, and they'd be like, "No, I'm not gonna do that. I hate you. I'm not doing that." It's just like, <laughs> yeah. yo, she's they're like trying to help you out. Like, how do you, what makes you think you know more than she does? But I I don't yeah. know. You, you wouldn't have like believed her like done whatever she told you to do. I don't know if I would have or not. It was just like kind of. I was just thinking it as like f- from the point of the screenplay, like what's the goal like it it legit was confusing like i don't know what i don't know it just seems silly i know i almost Um, like a part of me wanted to see like what was like in that area that she was in like what was where where the mother went to like find her like uh it would be interesting to see if they'd like done a sequence in there and so you could kind of understand like what the hell was going on out there but yeah it was very uh like goopy pink goop and like cavernous at one point they show the portal and it's almost like this um, um, it's like a throat sphincter. Oh, that's right. <laughs> or what's the word I'm looking for? Not a sphincter. Oh. What's the, like a, oh, an orifice. Oh, it's like an orifice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, sure. Sphincter. Yeah. yeah. Um, in that movie I've talked about before the men, women and chainsaws, the author like compares this to like going into a, the womb or like a vagina. Oh, <laughs> and they come out like covered in this slime. Oh yeah, like in plus or something. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's like giving birth. Yeah, yeah. No, that that the that part wasn't like told really well either. I don't think there's a lot of clarity, but that kind of felt purposeful. Um, 
I don't know, like they were trying to keep you uh, distracted or like, you know, keep you on your toes, I guess. Yeah. Here's a little bit of my beef with the false ending. I feel like the whole movie was seemed to be about like the main theme in the movie was like losing your daughter. The girl gets sucked into the TV like that's the big event. And then they resolve it before the movie is over, like before the climax. And it was a little bit quick. Like the mom goes in there and then before you know it, she's out. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, you don't see what happens in there or anything. Mm-hmm. And then like the big scene, the climax of the scene is not them saving her from inside the TV. Right. And two members of the family aren't even there. Like the daughter's gone, the oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. And the dad wasn't there as when it was happening. Yeah, like yeah. he comes in towards the end. So like I don't know. Part of me, this movie didn't hit me in the good ways that I thought it would. Like mm-hmm. I still I like the movie. Yeah. But um, and no disrespect to all the people who mentioned it, I don't want to take anything away from anyone. I'm just trying to figure out why I watched it. And was like, oh, we, okay, it was okay. Yeah. So you you didn't feel like that you thought like the end kind of broke the continuity of it like didn't like climax fully, or something. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I would call it a a partial climax. A partial climax, yeah. Well, that's that's I kind of that, that's what I like surprised me about it is like you think everything's back to normal like yeah half the family's like missing or like gone about like their day to day and suddenly like these three uh, get like attacked for some reason and it's it's almost like so random. That, uh, yeah, I could see, like, it's, um, you know, it doesn't make sense. Like, why is this happening? Uh, but and it also, like, affected character buy-in to me. Like, why were they back in that house ever again? Your daughter got sucked <laughs> into a TV. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they were moving. I, but, yeah, I, I guess they, they probably should have, like, gone right away. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good point. Um, but I, I, I kind of think it's because the whole daughter saving part, that wasn't necessarily that scary. Like it was like tense because she's yelling at, um, the, the, the dad, like, oh, pull now or pull later or something. And you don't know if the mother's going to come out. So that was kind of different scare. But then you still have the unresolved issue of like the beast, which we never really confronted. And that to me is what like the last, the final sequence is about is I think that's a beast that comes to the room and is like kind of staring at her from out the door. Right. Yeah, and I think just combine the two. The, like, like, save the, the daughter and the fight the The biggest moment of the movie should have been saving the daughter. Yeah. But you could also then make it scary by essentially doing all the stuff you did in the last scene anyway. Having, you know, coffins pop out of the ground and the house mm-hmm. eventually getting sucked into the portal. Yeah, true. I, I kind of feel like that's more formulaic, though, if, like, you have this hostage, you have the daughter, and you know there's a beast in there. I feel like a typical movie, you're going to first, like, fight the beast and defeat it before you get to the daughter. And this one, I thought it was kind of clever in the way that you get the daughter, it almost, the, almost like, kind of sets the uh, audience back at ease, and almost you forget about the beast that it's out there, but um, it's kind of like, oh, shit, you know, you, yeah, this, this isn't over yet. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear you, I hear you. Um... It's, it's, it's a little disjointed, of, but yeah. 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 And I appreciate like a false ending and, and making it, trying to make it a wild ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there were just some other things about the movie that felt sloppy to me. Maybe that was affecting my mindset. Yeah. Um, like I think to me it was a little bit inefficient. Like there was some stuff I would just take away from the movie, like the neighbors. Yeah. Oh. Like, 
there's an extended scene where the dad and is arguing with the neighbor about the TV remotes, and then they yeah. like go over there to ask if anything weird has happened, and they're like high and giggling. <laughs> is that why they were giggling? I, I think I assume so. It was just like I don't yeah. know why this is here. Yeah, um, I kind of and, and then like the oldest daughter was she existed, but she wasn't there for anything really. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it was just like well, why is she here like get rid of the neighbors get rid of the daughter yeah and then i even thought they could have combined the parapsychologist and the medium into one character yeah yeah those apart were like that but she's called a parapsychologist i think that's what she called herself oh, okay we're wait, there's a part like where she's like explaining like the afterlife to the son like the youngest son and it felt like uh, like a Disney movie, a Disney movie for a second, like the way she was talking and explaining, like there's this beautiful world on the other end, and all this uh, magical things happen. Kind of, it just felt like a very Disney movie for for a moment. Um, yeah, and both of those women had those big soliloquies, and I was, I was yeah. kind of like, it's not about these women. Like it could have been, I guess. Yeah, but it should have been about the family. It's yeah, yeah. You're right. It was the family's reaction was interesting because by the time they bring in these professionals, like they're almost like this is normal. Like you, you don't see them like in the shock that um, I think in other movies you would see a family who's like lost their daughter to the TV might be. Yeah, yeah. I just for some reason felt like they weren't always acting like people would act in the situation. Right. Yeah. They're kind of normalizing it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I did like, uh, this character, um, Zelda Rubenstein as the second medium that comes in. I, I just thought she was a really unique character, like Southern accent, uh, just like this, you know, crazy, uh, you know, she has like a very distinct voice. Um, it was just kind of a, a very interesting, uh, dynamic that they're into the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I did like her. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. this movie passes the, uh, Bechdel test, by the way more than one named female character and they talk to each other about something other than a man. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I think that, that happens a few times with a few characters. Yeah. You don't think most and this movie movies... gets a lot of love for that because the mom is essentially the lead. Yeah, yeah. I like the way they positioned her like that. Like, she had to be the one to go in to save her. She's the one that's, like, fighting at the end. Yeah, and I do think that's the where the movie succeeds so much is, like, as much as there are times when I'm like, you're not acting like a normal person, um... Or even like a good parent, but then there are some like truly emotional moments of connection and like yeah uh, sadness with the daughter and and the family dynamics. Yeah, yeah. There's some. I feel like there's some heart to the film, and and it, I kind of liked a lot of the humor. Like yeah, the the <laughs> the daughter. Uh, she's pretty useless, but uh, I, I thought she was kind of funny. There's that part um, where they're talking about like oh we got to go to a hotel, and the daughter's just like oh yeah that's a nice hotel or something. And, and the mother's like, what? And she's like, what? Oh, I don't know what you're talking about or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, or where, um, the, the medium is like about to go into the pit to save the, the youngest daughter. And, uh, they're like yelling at each other and the mom's like, no, let me go. And the other one's like, no, you've never done this before. And then the mom's like, you haven't either. And then she's just like, okay, you go. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> yeah. Those, those felt like very Spielbergy to me, like throwing in those like little jabs. And, you know, as you mentioned, the dads and the and the remote controls in the beginning, like how the remote control in one house triggers the TV in the other house. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. I, I liked those uh, touches to it. There were some of the, some of the humor really did land. And one of the, um, the parapsychologist crewman is describing like the dad's basically got his hand on the doorknob of the room where all the crazy shit happens. And he's like, 
taking a solid like three minutes to describe this scenario that they saw once where it's like the match the matchbox car was moving you couldn't see it by the naked eye but our time lapse video clearly shows that over yeah. the course of 24 hours <laughs> yeah. it moved from one side of the room to the other and yeah. dad's just like uh-huh. like seven feet <laughs> and op- opens the door yeah yeah and then everything's just flying around the room yeah 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 <laughs> that's good uh yeah i enjoyed that part yeah uh, so um, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, there wasn't a lot that made sense. A lot of scenes I could have been thrown out. Maybe some of the characters were unnecessary. Uh, I, I, I agree with those points. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think I think my main takeaway was like I didn't feel as connected to the family as I wanted to, and I think some of those other things aren't. It's not like it was bothering me at the time, but it was just like maybe those are the reasons why I didn't feel connected to the family because we wasted time with some extraneous characters or extraneous yeah. elements but i think that's also what makes it a fun movie um and more than just like a like you said paint by the numbers um, yeah horror movie that, that doesn't have much levity or fun to it or right or quirkiness it has a lot of quirkiness i i did think the kids did a pretty good job uh carolyn like her character and uh the kid uh robbie is that his name yeah i think it was robbie yeah they did they, they did a great job yeah, they, I thought. Uh, yeah, but, but I, 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 like, yeah, in terms of like the family and being bought into them, I, I think some of the newer movies have done a better job of that, like like Babadook and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, agreed. There was no real drama between any of the family members. To, oh yeah, right. To add to things. Yeah, yeah, right. Um. So zero to five slimy pink goo covered tennis balls. What do you give this? Uh, I'd give it four, just because you know it's pretty fun to watch, and uh, I thought I thought it holds up for how old it is. Uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say it's a four. What about you? All right, yeah, I'd give it a three. I like it, but I didn't I didn't like it as much as I thought I would, and I, I think there were some things that weren't yeah weren't necessarily my cup of tea. But overall, I, I can't say that I didn't like it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I appreciate its impact on on future supernatural movies. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's it's crazy, like uh, the similarities that you see. Yeah. Um, and even like making the people who come to help you with the house be mainish characters, um, mm-hmm. or have a big role. Like, it's a big. That's the Conjuring. Yeah, Insidious. So many. Yeah. 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 Cool. Anything else, man? Uh, no, no. It's a fun one to watch. Okay, well, that's all for our discussion on Poltergeist, everybody. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. That helps other people find our show, and we greatly appreciate it. If you want to join this discussion, you can find our social links on our website, horrormovieclub.com, or you can shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We announce next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter. In case you want to watch it beforehand, you can follow us on either of those so you know the movie ahead of time. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart, so check her out on Etsy.com. And until next time, if your daughter gets sucked into another dimension in your own home and you finally get her back, get out of the house immediately and never go back. It's just Parenting 101. (laughs) 